Hello and welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Anthony English on the topic The Divinity of Christ and how it is exemplified in the Luminous Mysteries. This August 2007 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday Evening Apologetics Lectures at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Anthony English is a regular speaker at Lumen Verum. Thank you very much, Charlotte and Robert and uh, all of the organisers and everybody who's here. So uh, you get extra points tonight, extra merit for coming out on the cold, cold, cold night. Uh, but that doesn't apply if you're listening to the recording, okay? So um, from home. So after the after the talk now. So what I'm going to look at tonight was the luminous mysteries and as we all know the luminous, the, the rosary for, for many hundreds of years had 15, 15 decades of the rosary. The 15 decades were to, in the early days of the church, the, um, uh, the, the Christians memorised and would recite 150 psalms every day. And, uh, and that became difficult for those who were not able to to memorise, such as ourselves, and uh, and so that gradually became replaced with uh, 150 uh, Hail Marys, and uh, that took formulation with various mysteries of the Rosary, and so it was quite shocking in a way for when Pope John Paul in 2002 said, "Well, I'm going to change that." He, he didn't, he was very, very gentle in the way that he did it. He just proposed uh, these, these uh, new, new mysteries. Uh, but, because um, uh, we had the, the, the joyful mysteries, as you know, uh, especially the infancy of our Lord, and then uh, the sorrowful mysteries uh, at the, the time of our Lord's agony and suffering, and then, of course, the glorious mysteries. But uh, the mysteries of our Lord's public life were, were, were not such uh, such a focus. And uh, Pope John Paul, in his encyclical on the Rosary in 2002, um, said that uh, he, he really wanted to introduce these, propose these uh, mysteries as mysteries of light. Because in a world where there's a lot of darkness and a lot of confusion and... Uh, uh, lack of courage, I think, too. Uh, we, we really need some strength, don't we? We need some light. I mean, if you think of all of the big issues, if you were to ask people doing one of the many polls around today, and you ask them, like, what are the big issues that are affecting the world that are facing the future? Everything would be very bleak. Uh, nobody, no one is really saying, look, things are looking good. But uh, the church can always say, look, things are looking good. Because it's all in God's hands. It's God's, even the power of one mass is greater than all the evil in the whole world. And uh, the, the power of the sacrifice of Christ. And so it's good for us not to lose courage and, I, and, and to, to keep in focus that whatever evils there may be around, uh, our Lord allows them. Allows them for some greater good in his divine providence. He foresees, that's where the word providence comes from, to foresee foresees the good that is going to come out of whatever sorrows or sufferings or even our own sins St. Augustine says God can draw good out of them that's not an excuse to go sinning by the way now and so these five mysteries or luminous mysteries or mysteries of life there were five of them proposed which were really to shed light on the divinity of Christ as we know our Lord Jesus Christ is true God and true man and I would say that every heresy, every error throughout the whole of history either neglects one of those two truths. Either that they neglect that he's truly God or neglect that he's truly man. Just a, just a spirit. He didn't really suffer on the cross, for example. Uh, or he said, so Michael the Archangel came down. All, these, all of these errors that, uh, that, that people, people have said throughout history. Or the emphasis on on Christ as men, which is very true, but to the neglect of the divinity of Christ, that Christ is truly God. And so uh, these mysteries really 
manifest in a, a certain way a Lord just revealing himself he revealed himself very very slowly do you remember early on the devils tried to tried, tried to uh, say I know who you are you're the son of David I know who and he told them you be quiet and why did he tell them to be quiet they were telling the truth so why did he tell them to be silent well it was not the devil's job to go making the revelation of God not everything that the devil says is a lie. He's the father of lies. But the art of lying, take good note, the art of lying is to make people believe that you're telling the truth. And, uh, and the, the, it was not the devil's job to reveal. But he also didn't want to reveal, our Lord didn't want it revealed ahead of time because people couldn't take it. So that's why uh, Christ revealed himself very, very slowly, very gradually. Because as St. Thomas Aquinas says, goods are received according to the manner of the recipient. You need to, uh, you need to have, get people where they're at, if you like. Uh, so that when you're teaching people, you teach according to their capacity. Uh, it doesn't mean you compromise the truth, but you, you need to teach them. That's why Somebody who's a good teacher of adults may be a very poor teacher of children. Maybe. I've known people who are very good at both, but uh, they may be a poor teacher of children because not able to get down to their level, to put in the proper examples and, and, and to, to, to get them where they're at. Well, our Lord had, had this principle in mind. The goods are received according to the manner of the recipient. In other words, you, you, uh, you, you get people when, where they're at. You teach them gradually as needed. Okay? Now, St. Peter. Uh, St. Peter says in the second letter, he says, we are witnesses to his majesty. And then refers back to one of these five mysteries of life, the transfiguration. Saying, we saw his majesty. We saw his glory. And... Uh, even after seeing his glory, Peter, James and John, what happened? <laughs> they, uh, they saw his glory on Mount Tabor. What are these five mysteries? The first is the baptism of our Lord in the Jordan. Uh, Christ was uh, baptised by John the Baptist. And why was that the case? Well, we'll see that in a minute. A lot of people ask, well, why would, why would Jesus need baptism? Of course, he didn't need to be baptized. No original sin to be wiped away. No grace to put in his soul. He already had grace in his soul from the moment of his conception. So we'll see, we'll see that in a minute. The baptism in the Jordan. The second one is, uh, is usually shortened uh, in this little book that I've got here is abbreviated to the, the wedding at Cana. And that's usually when people are announced, announce the mystery, it's the wedding at Cana. Well, yes, it is definitely the wedding at Cana. And of course we all know the miracle came, coming through um, Our Lady's intercession. But the wedding at Cana in uh, John chapter 2, uh, what Pope John Paul wants to emphasize in this is that it's our Lord's self-manifestation, his revealing of himself at the wedding at Cana. That's the, that's the emphasis. The, the third mystery, so we'll come back and uh, look at each of those. Uh, the third mystery then is the, is the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven and it's called to conversion, called to repentance. And so uh, this third luminous mystery is, of course, our Lord preparing the way. As John the Baptist prepared the way, John was the voice crying in the wilderness. And Christ was the Word. And Augustine points out that a voice without a word is babble. You need the voice and you need the Word. So John is the voice, Christ is the Word. The Word made flesh. And so, uh, and so John is pointing like a, like a signpost, pointing to Christ. We see that in the baptism in the Jordan and we see this also in this... Um, uh, this third luminous mystery, which is the proclamation of the kingdom with its call to conversion, the presence of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. And uh, there was a lot of confusion around the time of, 
of uh, Jesus to find out to, for people to, to had all sorts of expectations about the kingdom and uh, had all sorts of wrong ideas about the kingdom and so uh, and so those those ideas had all to be clarified as well. John the Baptist, they people said, well, he's the Messiah. Maybe he is. And uh, John the Baptist said, me, there's one coming after me and who was before me? Not in time, but in eternity. And I am unfit to undo the latchet of his sandal. He must increase, but I must decrease. People come up to me and say, are you, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? I'm not. He told them openly. He had, he had them in his hands, John the Baptist. Everybody at least respected him if they didn't love him. Even Herod was afraid of him. He was fascinated by him. And the Pharisees, they didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to attack him. They wished he'd go away, but yeah. And so, they asked, are you the Christ? I'm not. Uh, and, uh, and then when our Lord came through, he said, there, there's the Lamb of God. The next day, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And uh, so humble was John the Baptist in his role. So humble, even though he was so prominent, he was so humble that when, uh, he, when he told his disciples, he said, well, there's John the Baptist, two of them went away, they started following, they left John. John didn't say, oh, I didn't mean to come back, come back, I didn't mean to lose you. No, that was the whole idea. John used to teach. Remember, the, uh, uh, the disciples asked their Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples to pray. So, John taught them how to pray. Wonderful thing. They were confessing sins as well. And he was able to tell them, look, you soldiers, just take no more than, than is your rightful tax collectors too, and so on. He was giving them advice, he was giving them penance, according to their sins, confession of sins. So, the third is the, uh, the proclamation of the kingdom, with uh, all of the miracles as well, the healings. The fourth luminous mystery, which uh, John Paul says is the, is the mystery of light par excellence which is the transfiguration where our Lord's clothes became as, became as white as snow and, uh, and St. Peter St. Peter was there and said Lord let's make three tents one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah and, and the Gospels one of the many, many, many signs of the authenticity of the Gospels is that they don't, they don't show uh, the the, um, the apostles in a very very wonderful light and show them what's and all with all their mistakes it says in the gospel he did not know what he was saying <laughs> and so uh, it was you know it's humiliating to be to be have that written about you you know but it's not a fabrication he didn't know what he was saying uh, Lord let's make three tents Peter James and John now remember Peter James and John were the three who were also taken close to our Lord at the uh, in the agony in the garden in uh, Luke chapter 19 or 22? 19 right, John 17 and 18 anyway, the, the agony in the garden and our Lord took, he, he left them there and then he went just a, a stone's throw away and he, he brought with him Peter, James and John now these were the three who were going to be closest to him at the cross and so they were the three who needed to be strengthened ahead of time at the transfiguration. So they can always cast their mind back and say, well, you know, even though we lost all hope, don't you remember? I was there. I was there. I saw his glory. And then uh, the fifth luminous mystery, the institution of the Holy Eucharist, or to give it its full title, the institution of the Holy Eucharist as a sacramental expression of the Paschal mystery. You can announce that next time you say it in the parish and see what people say. So, so witnesses to his majesty. Christ is true God and true man. Two truths. And the two truths are like two bright colours, blazing red and white, standing together. 
Yes, Chesterton says. The church has a, a holy hatred of pink. It's a, the, the two truths stand together. On the one hand, he's God, and on the other hand, he's man. Well, which is he? Both. It's not either or. And, uh, and so the two truths have to be kept in balance. He's not half God, half man. Fully man, fully man, and fully God. But not a human person. Who, if you say, what is Christ? There's two answers. He's God. What sort of thing is he? What sort of being is he? He's God. And he's man. There's human nature, body and soul. My soul is sorrowful unto death. Uh, my will and thy will. He's got a will. He's got a human will. He's got a human soul. He's got a human body. Uh, and the true, so two answers. If you say, who is Jesus Christ? There's one answer. The second person of the Blessed Trinity. He's not a human person and a divine person. Uh, Christ revealed his divinity progressively. So in these uh, luminous mysteries, first in the baptism, these are manifestations of his glory. And so uh, at a time when we we can sometimes be on the back foot, we can sometimes be more swung by popular opinion. Do you know, do you remember when the first uh, public opinion poll was in history, in the, in the gospel? Did you know? No. It was public opinion. Who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah or one of the prophets. Well, what's the majority say? Well, some have said this, some have said that, some have said All of them took their public opinion poll, all of the answers were wrong. Okay? So we don't always go by majority rule, do we? And uh, not when, we, when it comes to the truth. Now, uh, uh, but still, that was, that was great praise. Who do people say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Oh, this is an Old Testament hall of fame. Who do people say that I am? Well, whoever you are, you're important. You know, when John, uh, when John the Baptist had been beheaded by, by Herod, Herod um, was fascinated by him, liked to listen to him, but still, you know, had made this uh, promise in his drunkenness and his lust, and had made this promise that he would just give up to half his kingdom and, and right and what's the head of John the Baptist on the platter here and now. And he felt sad, but he was embarrassed because of his guests, and so he made so he went ahead and did it reluctantly. But then later on, uh, there was word about uh, about our Lord. About Jesus Christ had turned up, and and what did John, the, what did uh, Herod say? Who it was? And they all had opinions about who he was. Herod says, "This is John the Baptist, risen from the dead. He's come back to haunt me." That's a guilty conscience. And uh, come back to haunt him. He must have had nightmares about John the Baptist every night. Terrible. Amazing what people do. What people, what lengths people will go to rather than go to confession, you know? It started their own church, anything. It's true. It's true. So, so often, it's just a matter of being able to go and say, I'm sorry. Yes, I am. I accept my sin. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a weak sinner. I accept it. And then our Lord, with all of His mercy, will just say, Oh, forgive me. What did you expect? Don't get discouraged. Yes. Yes, you're weak. But don't worry, I'm strong. Like Saint Teresa of Avila said, said on my own, said I am just a big, great big lion of zeros. But with our Lord, He puts the one in front. He must increase, I must decrease. And baptism in the Jordan. And John, John the Baptist says, I, I don't want to baptize you. You should be doing this to me. And it's just. just just endure this. Just go. We need to do this to fulfil for the fulfilment of of the Old Testament. Well, why did Jesus get baptized? What happened at his baptism? Well, he went down and in, into the water. Now, and 
John saw it's not clear in the gospel whether it was John or, or whether it was our Lord but maybe both saw a dove coming up the spirit coming like a dove and then we hear the voice of the Father what did I hear? the blessed trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit and the voice from heaven calling out this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased now You've got John the Baptist's uh, testimony there, in the baptism in the Jordan. So, why was Jesus baptised? Well, the first is, uh, is to commend John's own ministry. It was a blessing on, 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 on John the Baptist's ministry, saying, look, he is leading you to me. This is good. So it was a blessing on John's ministry. It was a fulfilment of the Old Testament. It was an example of humility because our Lord Jesus was, taught, was treated like sinners. He was... Uh, yeah, he, he, he made himself appear as a sinner. Uh, St. Paul goes to the point where he says he became sin for us because a person can't become a sin and uh, he did not become a sinner but he was treated as if he was the worst of all sinners. I am a worm and no man. Psalm 21. And as an example of humility, and then of course uh, to sanctify the waters. When we receive uh, baptism, the water itself, water naturally has just got a power to wash. But uh, when it's given, the, it becomes an instrument and in that washing through through the, the power of the one who's doing the baptizing, as the water is elevated, is given a supernatural power. Just as a pen has got uh, power to just to make marks by itself, by its nature, it can just make marks. But it can make intelligent marks, not from itself, but when it's elevated in the hand of uh, somebody who's able to write. And uh, and so to water is, uh, is elevated just at that time when it's poured over with the right words when it's poured over it is elevated and given a supernatural power now of course God could heal you or could sanctify you any way he wants he could do it by clicking his fingers or by not clicking his fingers metaphorical fingers but the, the, the thing is that you're human and we are human and as human beings we've got body and soul we need to have the senses we need to have that sacramental principle so that we see that uh, the body is the spirit works through bodily things and uh, there's another common heresy is basically to turn us into pure spirits or to look at us just purely as um, as a bunch of bones uh, <laughs> <laughs> the bodily delights and just to ignore the spiritual side. And the more we suppress one or the other, even in our spirituality, if our spirituality doesn't include something physical, such as kneeling and genuflections and words and singing and stuff, if we don't have any of that, the material element, the more we suppress the natural, uh, uh, the natural need for sacraments, We've got a, a, a natural need to use our bodies to glorify God. Use our bodies for the sake of our souls. The more we suppress that, the more it'll come back and uh, uh, it'll come back with a vengeance. If you, if you live your life as if you're just purely an angel, because you're not. And a uh, perfect example is if you consider the liturgy and if you consider... The emptying of the churches, I don't mean this one, but the emptying them of anything beautiful or anything that's uh, elevated, <coughs> anything, well, what happens? People have got, they can't hold themselves back. They say, well, we'll have to put up banners. Or we'll have to have, okay, we won't have our liturgical thing, but everybody come in and wear a red shirt on Pentecost Sunday or something. Well, that's alright, but the thing is, you've got to, you've, if you deny, uh, the liturgical principle, then people make substitutes. 
same in just in everyday life. I mean, you could have a whole liturgical calendar based on uh, secular feasts. Secular. Ah, oh, it's Australia Day. Everybody out on the harbour on Australia Day, you know, or the, the Mexican wave. Do they still do that at, at their cricket? Or all of these kind of pseudo liturgical things. People naturally have a desire, have a need to express themselves even in uh, in in bodily forms, and so. Um, so the sanctifying of the waters, too, is a reminder of us that the material elements of the world are good. The world is not evil. The world is good. It's for the sake of God. It only becomes evil when we abuse it. When we make it bigger than it's... Than whether when we make it smaller than it, than it really is. You know, when we deny its uh, God-given purpose. So those three points then is that, uh, to, to commend Jesus was baptized to commend John's baptism as an example of humility becoming a, becoming a, appearing as a sinner and to sanctify the waters. So uh, that's the first manifestation of his glory with the, the blessed Trinity there, isn't it? Father, Son, the Son and the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. Now, why did, why did uh, God the Father give those words, this is my beloved son? Who did he say that for? Well, it wasn't for the sake of uh, Jesus. It was for the sake of the others. And why was it for their sake? Because they've got ears. And they needed to hear it. We need to have witnesses. See, this is the thing. We need to have witnesses. To, uh, we need to be able to see things as well. Okay, we can't, we can't be purely spiritual. Uh, I mean, we need to use our senses as best we can for our spiritual lives and for our natural life. Christ's um, self-manifestation at the wedding at Cana is the next one. This is very interesting because, well, no doubt you've, you've heard that this was uh, Our Lady's intercession, of course, uh, where she said uh, she was invited, and he was invited, and the disciples came along as well, and ran out of wine and so on. John chapter 2. And, uh, and then Mary goes to his son, she says they have no wine. She had the eye out. To, so you can just imagine that that uh, couple, for the rest of their lives, would, ah, oh, yeah, I remember your wedding. Because <laughs> the weddings went for, for, for days, five days or something. Uh, now, oh yeah, I remember you. Oh yeah, yeah, you were the ones who ran out of wine. Like the most, be terrible. And uh, and so, and now you have you have the apparent rebuke of a lady, woman. What is this to me and to you? My hour has not yet come. Well, on the surface of it, you'd have to say, well, he's putting her away. He's saying, look. I've heard Protestants say she bullied him into working a miracle. Well, our Lord was not one to be bullied, okay? Least of all by his mother, and she was not the one to bully either. She did uh, the will of God in all things. Now, but look at it from this point of view. Of course, you can't be there looking on just on the on the words itself, or you can't you can't uh, tell the context. But look at look at what happened. A lady didn't turn away and say, oh, sorry, look, I did my best, I asked him, you know, he's just not in the right mood. What happened? <laughs> she turned around, she said, do whatever he tells you. And so they got the big uh, jars of water, as you know, gallons and gallons, and, uh, and, and then next thing the steward tasted it, and it, he said, well, you saved the best wine for last. Great, great miracle was done. And a very manifest miracle. A very obvious one. Our Lord didn't do it with any uh, being disgruntled. Or being, ah, what did he have to do? What what, what was happening there? My hour has not yet come. Woman. What sort of a way is that to speak to her? Well, it's a term of the greatest dignity. My lady. And it was said again on the cross, Woman, behold thy son. John chapter 19. Behold your mother. And the point is, actions speak louder than words. The words themselves, we can't tell. 
seems to be a rebuke, but then what did our Lord do? He actually worked a miracle. How did our lady do? She said, well, do whatever he tells you. Watch this, you know, he's, here he goes. But here's what's happening. Is that our Lord is saying, okay, do you realise that, I mean, I wouldn't like to use the term, you could, I suppose, uh, I'm going to be blowing my cover, to put it in colloquial terms. I, I'm going to blow my cover, because the moment that I work this miracle, I'm going to be generating enemies. There'll be suspicion, that's exactly what happened. There'll be attacks, there'll be devils, there'll be people trying to trap me out with uh, the hardest questions and and uh, trying to treat me, should we pay, uh, should we pay tribute to Caesar or not, and so on. They'll be trapping me every time. I'm going to start on this royal road of the cross. My hour has not yet come. That will be the hour. Are you ready? This is written between the lines. Are you ready, he says to his mother, to step? Are we ready to get together to walk on this road of the cross? What is this? To, to, do you realise what this means to you and for me? Woman, what is this to me and to you? My hour is not yet come, but now it's starting. Are you ready? And our lady with a full, with a full heart says, yes, do whatever he tells you. The Lord works the miracle, and what we read is, um, uh, his disciples believed in him. That's how, how the, uh, uh, this is the first of the signs that he worked, and his disciples believed in him. So, it was a, a as I say, the manifestation of his divinity. Now, why work all these, all of these um, miracles? Mm. Let me just uh, say that each of the, uh, each of these mysteries has got uh, the, the has got some relation, some connection to the sacraments. The baptism in the Jordan. Any, any takers on which sacrament that now? Yeah, okay. All right, we'll move on. The second one is the, 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 the wedding at Cana. Our Lord's self-manifestation at the wedding at Cana. Think of it in that way. He revealed, revealed himself. Just a glimpse. The steward didn't even know where the wine came from. He just said, well, you've saved the best wine to last. He didn't even know. So, but still, some people knew what was going on there. The, um, the third one is the proclamation of the kingdom with its call to conversion. Obviously, that's the, the, the sacrament of penance. But it's also with tremendous healings. You read that uh, the apostles, that as many as came to him were healed. There were some that just wanted to touch, touch his garment. And that continued after the resurrection and after the ascension into heaven at Pentecost. Do you know that I think in Acts uh, chapter 16, it might be, they got a, a scarf, a kerchief, uh, from St. Paul. They would grab, they would just get a, a scarf from St. Paul and take it to the sick people. It would be around his neck and then just go and take it to the sick relics. Paul was still alive. And they would just take the scarf and then, and then touch it to people's body. Or people just wanted to be, even in the shadow, of St. Peter. You see how God works through human This is an example of relics. Um, if you uh, get a chance, I wrote an article on this called A Place for Relics. It's on the internet, you'll find it again. Look for it, find a place for a place for relics. Now, this proclamation of the king, but why all these miracles? Well, Quite simply, anybody can walk in and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. False Christ will be coming. Anyone can come in and say, hey, I am the new uh, solution to, I'm going to bring the oceans down, the, you know, the level of the oceans down, and I'm going to stop global warming and all the rest. Anybody can come and do that and be almost like a pseudo-Messiah, but prove it. Prove it. God doesn't back a liar. So when our Lord did great miracles, great physical miracles, that was a sign of his spiritual power as well. So that, uh, for example, 
you know, remember the one, the paralytic was let down through the roof here, and uh, and Jesus told him, get up and walk. Uh, uh, your sins are forgiven. And everyone is scandalized. What do you mean? How, how dare you say your sins are forgiven? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, the Lord said, well, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? If you like, which is easier to say and get away with? I can tell you your sins are forgiven. Nobody's going to know whether I'm right or not. Okay? But just to prove that the Son of Man has got authority on earth to forgive sins, I tell you, get up and walk. Very manifest, very, very obvious miracle as proof of his divinity. Proof of his power. But the important things were the spiritual healings as well. We see, even though there were physical healings, there were the crowds, there were one part of one of the Gospels says that they were so um, overworked, they were so, so busy with so many people coming to them, even when they went, there's one place where it says, uh, our Lord took them aside, he took the disciples aside, the apostles aside, he said, come over and rest a little while. Because they, were, they didn't even have time to eat. That was their missionary zeal. They didn't even have time to eat. And, uh, but the physical healings were not quite not as important as the spiritual. Think of that man with the waters of uh, Silas, where the man was, you know, lying down for what thirty-seven years, I think. What? Someone. The pool was Silas. How many years was it? Uh, it says he was crippled for thirty-eight years. That doesn't mean he was there for thirty. All right. 38 years. He's been there for a long time. Right, he'd been crippled for 38 years. And uh, and then yeah, I heard a priest say, what if he'd given up after 37? <laughs> so 38 years. And uh, and you know, he, he was there. Our Lord said, well, you know, do you want to be healed? Kidding me? I come in, there's nobody put me in the water. The angel came and stirred the waters. See, the sacramental principle. The angel and the first one in the woods, there's nobody even to put me in. So, you know, it can't happen, you know. And uh, let's get up and walk. And then he told him, he said, go away and, and beware, lest something worse will happen to you. The, in other words, the physical evils. You know, when people speak about the greater of the lesser of two evils, have to choose the lesser of two evils. Rubbish. That's there's no so there's nothing nothing Christian about choosing the lesser of two evils if either of them is a moral if both of them are moral evils. We never have a right to do wrong. We never have a right to sin. What we may choose is a is uh, the kind of a physical evil physical consequences. We may not sin ourselves. Even if it may lead others to sin, uh, we, we can't go and do evil, the good may come of it. And, uh, but we, we can tolerate physical evils, even death, whatever it might be, we may tolerate physical evils, but a physical evil is less than a moral evil. And so the lesser of two evils is the physical evil. But in terms of choosing between two sins, no, we can't do that. We are never put in a situation where we are bound to sin. If we were bound to sin, it would not be a sin. Because the sin by its very nature requires full knowledge, full consent. Yeah? Now, uh, and so, but these physical miracles were a sign of his spiritual power as well. So our Lord was not just a spiritual guide. With uh, you know, He didn't just come down to the earth, arms clapped together, and say, "Look, just be nice to each other." You know, that is not the message of the gospel. And uh, the He's not just a spiritual guide. Uh, and the example there, He is. Um, uh, he. he he leads us, he heals even physically, physically and spiritually. And, uh, and in this uh, third luminous mystery, the proclamation of the kingdom, he says, I am the light of the world, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, I am among you as one who serves. I am the good shepherd, I am willing to die for my sheep. 
and he went around to, to all of the synagogues, uh, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and curing every disease and illness among the people. Incidentally, uh, when it's very, very clear, the gospel writers are very clear on the difference between diseases and um, and demons. It starts to confuse them these days. People confuse them, but. The gospel is very clear. You can't out a demon. Oh, maybe it was epilepsy. No, it was a demon. And, uh, and so, uh, there's this, uh, this tendency to diminish Christ's power or to, um, diminish the power of the devil as well, yeah? So, uh, but he, he cured diseases and illness among the people. He had, remember the man who was, that, uh, he said, my son is caught up in chains, bound in, bound in chains. And he ripped the chains apart. He tears his flesh, he's, you know. And then, and then when our Lord told him, get out of him, went into all of the, the thousands of, um, of, of pigs, the swine, and went over the hill. Bad for business. In the country, the country people in the country just said, yeah, get out of here, can you can leave, leave our area? And, uh, but uh, that was to show the power of the devils, you know? And that our Lord, even in his mercy, even, even here's the presence of the devils, and they said, well, don't, don't cut, if you're going to cut this out, do something with us, let us come into the devils. Alright, I'll grant you your prayer. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, but you see that, and then the, the boy was, they thought, they thought he was dead after the devil had been cast out and he was fine. He was fine. But you see that our Lord's power that instantly, or the woman who was, um, who had had the, the hemorrhage for years and she just spent all of her money on doctors and, you know, she ended up being even worse. She said, if only I could just touch his cloak. And, uh, and then she, she was healed. Our Lord had this uh, amazing power uh, to to uh, to work these miracles, but that, that was as evidence of His divinity. That was evidence of uh, that God doesn't back a liar. Right? All very well for Him to claim these things, but if he, but if God is really behind Him, then He has to prove it. That's that's what people were saying. Well, He proved it. And he proved it, of course, the ultimate miracle, which was uh, the resurrection. Then we uh, so so much for the for the third uh, luminous mystery. We, we get on to the fourth one, the transfiguration. Now, this is a it's a, it's a difficult mystery for us to grasp, isn't it? Because uh, you know, the transfiguration day comes around and and it's gone, and you just What's happened? <laughs> so, well, what, what happened at the Transfiguration? About eight days after, he said this, he took Peter, James and John, went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, his face changed in his appearance, his clothing became dazzling white. And this was really to strengthen uh, the Peter, James and John, to give them a glimpse of his glory. You see, Christ had the vision, the beatific vision, from the very first moment of his conception, he saw God face to face, but, because he couldn't grant it if he didn't have it. You can't give what you haven't got. But that was not shown until after the resurrection. We didn't see, he didn't see his, his glory until after the resurrection, and all of a sudden, he walked in through the, through the wall, he walked in, the doors are closed, and Jesus was there in the room. The doors are locked. There he is among us, and and uh, his ability to appear in several places and so on. He had that power, but he uh, suppressed it, uh, for want of a better word. He held it back. He blocked. He blocked the power during uh, during his life up until the resurrection. But at the transfiguration, just for a moment, they glimpsed they glimpsed his glory. You know, it's interesting, as uh, this thing about this progressive revelation that Jesus was making of himself, uh, at the transfiguration, what happened? Now, Lord told them, don't tell anybody of, about this until the Son of Man 
should rise from the dead. Now we hear this and we say, okay, fair enough. They're not allowed to. They talk about it among themselves, but what did they talk about among themselves? I say, what does it mean? What does he mean when he says the Son of Man will rise from the dead? They knew who the Son of Man was. What does it mean he will rise from the dead? What sort of metaphor is this? What's he talking about? We look back and we say, of course, don't you realise it was, you know, he's going to be dead in the tomb, he's going to come back to life. But the apostles themselves did not understand at the time. They didn't understand his plainest words, I will be rising from the dead. They did not understand it. And uh, we see that in other places too where he, he tells them, I'm, uh, yeah, the, yeah he, especially when he speaks of his resurrection, and they were asking, well, what does he mean? The, um, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up again. And he's speaking of the temple of his body. And after the resurrection, after the resurrection, the apostles remember, ah, that's what that meant, the three days. They heard the words, but they didn't get the message. And even at the transfiguration, they heard, they saw our Lord's glory, and then not long after, Peter's, Peter's there, the night, Holy Thursday night. He says, Lord, even if all of these let you down, don't worry, you can rely on me. A few hours later, he's saying, he's, he's swearing an oath, may God cast me down, may God strike me down with lightning if, if this is not true. I do not know the man. A few hours later. And this was the one who had seen the transfiguration, who had been there. Seen our Lord speaking to Moses and Elijah. So, um, yeah, so the, the road of faith is a struggle, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's bit by bit. A glimpse of his divinity strengthened the three. And the three, as we saw, were, were close in the agony in the garden. They were the three who were called on. So, our Lord, somebody pointed out to me one time that God gives you the encouragement that you need, the encouragement you need when you need it. And that's not necessarily when you think you need it. But he gives you the encouragement. I don't mean flattery, I mean, I mean encouragement. To put you uh, on the right path. He gives you the encouragement you need when you need it. That's very true. And, uh, and he knew that the apostles needed that encouragement at that time and he gave it to them. And then uh, Peter and John, of course, were the two at the tomb after the resurrection. The, the, the last of the... Um, uh, so the, the, we were just mentioning before about the sacraments. There's baptism, the, the sacrament of marriage, is the wedding at Cana, the proclamation and the call to conversion. Well... Obviously, that's the sacrament of penance or confession, but also the anointing of the sick is prefigured there, uh, which sometimes is accompanied by physical healing as well as the spiritual healing. And uh, and then the transfiguration, I suppose you could you could say that really corresponds to confirmation, to strengthen them in the faith. See? And then the the final one was the institution of the Eucharist. Now, uh, the, the mystery, once again, Pope John Paul says, it's the institution of the Eucharist as a sacramental expression of the Paschal mystery. Okay, a bit of a mouthful. Uh, so, but why a sacramental expression of the Paschal mystery? Well, what is the Paschal mystery? Yeah, it's the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection, isn't it? He died for our sins and rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain and what's even worse is you're still in your sins. And Paul says to the Corinthians. So, so the sacramental expression of the Paschal mystery. So the Paschal mystery is that Christ is died on the cross, offered up his body and blood for us, offered it up to the Father for us. But how is that presented sacramentally? Well, we can't eat his physical body and physical blood, not in physical, unless he could present some food 
and some drink that is acceptable for us, for our human body, we could eat it. Uh, and but food that is the body and blood, that is bread and wine, and then is no longer bread and wine. How does it become how does it become the body of Christ? God said it. That's that's all that's needed. At the wedding at Cana, we have the water turned into wine. Okay, it's a transformation, change of form from water into wine. But at the um, uh, the resurrection, we mentioned the resurrection. We have our Lord appears at the garden. Mary Magdalene may be confused, uh, tears in her eyes, and she says, just assumes that this uh, this man's the gardener, assumes that he knows who she's talking about, her heart's so full of love to the Lord. She says to the gardener, just tell me where you put him, Don't they, no introductions, just tell me where you put him, I'll take him away myself, you know. Because it really was a love, you know. Mary Magdalene's going to be able to pick up his, <laughs> our Lord's body and just carry, she's not going to be able to. You know, or the, the way that the, uh, the, the women ran to the tomb and moved away, the, they, they only, when they got towards the tomb, they were, who's going to move away the stone? Oh yeah, we should have thought of that. They were too, so keen to, uh, their love just carried them there. That they were, there was more than, uh, uh, yeah, they, they didn't even think of those. Well, our Lord can even remove the, the stones in our lives. You know, our, our, we see that often, don't we? Where, where he removes, he takes away the stone. He can do it. And uh, in the sacramental expression of the Paschal mystery, he can he can make uh, he can make himself appear as something else. He changes appearances. The um, he slips through the crowd. They wanted to lynch him. In uh, Luke chapter four, uh, they wanted to. They went from changing to say everybody was, you know, had them eating out of his hands after he'd read out from the scroll of uh, the book of Isaiah. And within just a few minutes, they wanted to push him off the edge of the edge of the cliff. They wanted to kill him. Just a few minutes. See how popular opinion changes. And uh, and our Lord, instead of um, he was able to slip through the crowd, just like that. Well. He could change his appearances. He could make water into wine. Could he make bread still appear as bread, but be his really, really his body? Can he take some bread and say, "This is my body," and it is his body, and it doesn't look like it? Well, yes, of course he can. What can't he? He's God. What's the difficulty there? Our Lord can do it. He can change. Change the bread and make it be his body. It's still appear as bread. It's still the taste of bread. My son is eight years old. And a few weeks ago, he serves at Mass, and um, a few weeks ago, we were, uh, I, had, I had a glass of wine. And um, he, was, he said, Oh, can I, can I have some wine? I said, No, not yet. You know, when you're older. Okay? And, uh, Anyway, then he said, oh, you know what uh, wine tastes, tastes like? Actually, I don't like the taste of wine. He said, but you've never had wine, because I knew what he was thinking of. <laughs> I, was, I knew that he was, because as an older server, he sometimes receives from the chalice. I knew. I knew what he was thinking. I said, you've never tasted wine? He said, no. He said, I've never tasted wine, but I know what wine tastes like. I know the taste of wine. Because he knew that what he had had was the precious blood of our Lord. It was not wine. But he knew it had the taste of wine. Had the smell of wine. Has the effects of wine as well. You drink too much, you can... Yeah. But he, he, he said, I haven't tasted wine, but I know what wine tastes like. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, uh, it is a sacramental expression of the Paschal mystery. So the institution of the Eucharist. Now let's see whether we can uh, just uh, tie this in a little bit with the um, what was it? The wedding. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll have a stab at it unless you can remember what. Yeah, I don't know what uh, uh, the connection is. Do you? Yeah, okay, so, so yeah, so, so I'll just repeat for the benefit. 
the um, uh, okay, so there's the parallel that, that there is the superabundance of our Lord. We read in the second book of Samuel when the uh, uh, when David gets the Ark of the Covenant back, uh, and uh, there's just David danced right through the night, dancing and singing and joy. And there was abundance, uh, overabundance. There were, you know, the, even the milkmaids, everybody, they were all, the, the cows themselves, there was a, a tremendous uh, riches and tremendous abundance that came through. Uh, there was great fertility in the crops and, 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 and uh, even in the households and so on. There was tremendous joy and abundance. And so that's certainly, certainly true at the, the wedding at Cana, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Uh, so many baskets left over, and in the Eucharist itself, uh, of course. In the um, uh, the other connection that I was thinking of, uh, that was that uh, uh, on was what uh, Saint Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, which is uh, that Christ gives Himself, gives His body. Uh, you know the famous passage that the husband is the head of the wife, and the wife. You know, I gave this to it to a group of young people one time and all the all the, all the uh, single people, you know, and all the all the young men were there sort of, yeah, come on, you know, and all the women were there, like, you know, folding their arms, saying, oh, look, I don't have to do with everything that so Paul says, you know. And they just didn't realise the message of it. A husband is ahead of his wife, and, and, and what does that mean? Does it mean that he can bully her around? No. What it means is that St. Paul is fine, it means that He's got to be ready to die for her. I think of the example. Imagine you're in a you're in a in a house that's burning, burning down. You think you think you're dead. Somebody comes in at risk of his own life, crawls in under the underneath the smoke, and just says, "Follow me." What are you going to do? You're going to say, "No way! I'm a, I'm a good feminist here, and I will not. <laughs> I refuse to follow any man. I'm not going to take orders from it." What do you do? He has risked his life for you. He has given his life for you. I'll follow you anywhere you want to take him. Anywhere reasonable. If it's unreasonable, he's not being a head. He's being a hard head. That's not the same thing. He's not using his head. He's not using his intellect. He's not using his will. And so, um, the, the, this parallel that St. Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 5, of the husband and giving his life, Christ gave his life for his bride, the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Where did it, where did Christ give his life for his bride? It's on the cross. The church, the church is born from the side of Christ. How did he feed his wife? How did he nourish his body, the church? With his own body and blood. That's how he nourishes us as members of the church. And just as Adam, uh, uh, Eve was, was born from the side of Adam while he was asleep, the church was born from the side of Christ while he was asleep in the, in the death, in the, the sleep which is the death of, on the cross. But he was willing to give his life, his body and blood for her. And so there's, you know, there's a parallel, uh, you know, obvious parallel between the, uh, the wedding at Cana, the blessing of marriage, and the blessing of the church. The husband gives his life for his wife. And you go back and read that chapter 5 again of Ephesians. <laughs> well, where's this bit about the wife has got to give her, her life, but the husband doesn't say anything about that. Um, that, but uh, she does anyway. But it's uh, but it's the husband who has to be reminded. He has to be ready to give give his life. I mean, some husbands won't even give up the football for their wives. And uh, and and so the husband is uh, is there giving his his life, pouring out, just as uh, Adam Adam did. Eve was taken from the side of Christ, from the side of Adam, and the church was born from the side 
from the side of Christ uh, in Matthew 19, I think, uh, our Lord speaks about the this uh, blessing of marriage. That in the beginning it was not so; it was, it was meant to be for life. Male and female, He created them, and for this shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Went to um, uh, a, a wedding a, a, a while ago, and the father's very, very outstanding Catholics and uh, the father said, you know, um, I, I'm really happy that it says, look, the husband uh, leaves his father and mother and thinks to his wife, but I didn't want my daughter to be leaving my, <laughs> you know, to be leaving my side. It doesn't say anything about the daughter has to leave as well. But yeah, it's, um, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a tremendous, um, uh, but renting apart and yet and self-giving and isn't that the, uh, the the I suppose the whole message of or really all of the gospels this idea that this uh, that it's in giving that we receive not just that we receive the joy but it's in it's in actually in the sacrifice in the gift itself uh, that we that we grow in love that we deepen our love you know so many people who've made enormous have had enormous uh, sufferings in different ways and if they have suffered with love so it makes them better rather than just bitter then it's really uh, uh, they can look back and say I'm so glad I'm glad I went through this it strengthened me I'm a better person for it it's brought me closer to God I, you know if I hadn't had this I would have lost my faith and you just see it's uh, amazing how how God shows that message in different people's lives, of how they uh, uh, th- that message of giving giving their lives for for each other, for the brethren. And of course, that's what happened with the apostles as well. Um, yeah. So, so those are the uh, five luminous mysteries. Yes. Well, the luminous mysteries uh, by the year 1994 or something. John Paul had written on every major. Um, major area of, of Catholic teaching, except well, he had written the uh, the, the catechism, well, not written, but he authorized the catechism of the Catholic Church. But uh, there was uh, a bit of a petition for him to write an encyclical on the Eucharist, which he hadn't done, and uh, he did. He, he wrote an encyclical on the Eucharist in the year two thousand, uh, and then. The other area that, even though he was known as the Pope of the Rosary and so on, uh, he he had written various meditations on the Rosary, but not a whole encyclical on it. So that was something still unfulfilled, which was fulfilled in 2002, 2001, September 11. Okay, it suddenly put Islam on the map, and uh, you. You know, for many of us, we had just been vaguely aware that there might have been some Muslims in the camp or something. You know, we just really didn't know anything. And um, I can't say that I don't know a whole lot more now, but um, but this was the dramatic challenge, the dramatic attack on uh, on what's perceived as the, the Christian infidels. Okay, you, know, you might look at New York City and there's nothing Christian there. Well, not nothing, but it's not really the manifestation. You know, it's not. You know, they're not. They're not queuing up for for um, uh, applications for canonizations, are they? It's a. Uh, but but uh, to to the to the Muslim, they say, well, you know, there's the infidels, Christian, whatever, Christian, secular. The these are the infidels, and um, uh, and Islam itself, of course, is and they they don't recognise the divinity of Christ. They don't recognise that Christ is God, and so uh, perhaps this is what you're referring to. Alit is at that time in 2002. It was especially timely in a post-Christian West. Uh, to remind, uh, see, in the nature of hordes of vacuum, and so in that 
time of vacuum and people are swamping to all sorts of crazy religions, uh, crazy man-made religions, it was a time once again to renew the rosary, which um, John Paul says is going through something of a crisis, and uh, uh, and also to invigorate our faith in Christ as God. And uh, and yeah, I mean we we can also tick off yeah yeah I know that Christ is God and I would never deny it and so on, but but. It takes a long, long, long time for it to sink in in, in our life. You know, we still don't quite trust him, and don't you know think God's God's angry at us all the time, or or, or some sort of distortions, all sorts of things uh, that that people have got. And so, it was a time really to invigorate and to remind the world, probably, of the that it's time to see His glory. That as St. Peter said, we have seen his majesty, we've seen his glory, and uh, just as the apostles saw it, it's time for us to open our eyes and have a look at his glory as well. You have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics lecture by Anthony English. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics lectures, visit cradio.org.au.